0: I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. And today we are returning to one of my favorite design cities, Dallas, Texas, for a chat with a creative who has mastered the art of surprise and delight. Thank you for checking out this episode of Convo by Design. We are solidly into 2022, and the on-again, off-again event schedule is wreaking havoc with travel plans and delivery dates. That being said, we are continuing to move forward with the 2022 remote design house Tulsa project that I've been telling you about. Very soon, you are going to start hearing about this project and seeing some of the finished spaces. If we can get some of our deliveries, that is. We are all in the same boat here. First designers up are going to be Gail Davis and John McLean with product from York Wall Coverings, article Franz Wigner, and others. I'm so excited to share this project with you. I can't stand it. Make sure you are subscribing to the show so you don't miss a single episode of the podcast. Surprise and delight. Such a simple concept. Such a simple idea, right? So challenging to execute. It's a matter of finding opportunities to add something completely unexpected, yet adds to the overall concept while not detracting from it. Morgan Farrow and her team do that extremely well. Adding a unique element to this conversation, Morgan is joined by Matt Kane, president of Tatum Homes, who works in partnership on some new development projects with Farrow and her team. Surprise and delight in partnership with a developer builder. This is something that comes up in conversation all the time with design creatives looking for new avenues for collaboration. So I thought I would share, and you're going to hear all about it, right after this for well over a year now you have been hearing incredible conversations interviews and panels with amazing creative talent as part of our wellness and design thought leadership series presented by thermosol it has been and continues to be an absolute joy working with the entire team at thermosol from the top down this multi-generational family business has been producing the gold standard in steam generators saunas steam showers and steam shower accessories for decades thermosol is the original steam shower with technology that is state-of-the-art made and manufactured in the united states the company's history with steam showers started by david altman in 1958 murray altman acquired thermosol's steam bath division in 1989 and the company is now led by mitch altman from their world-class production facility in round rock texas The most successful designers and architects are using steam showers to maximize wellness, relaxation, and enjoyment for their clients. Thermosol is a staunch advocate for the design trade, and I am so proud to have them as a presenting partner of Convo by Design and the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series. If not familiar with the entire range of Thermosol products, please check out thermosol.com. It's it's funny because... um, even though I've been doing this as long as I have, some people get nervous about doing interviews, and I find it fascinating because especially as creators, whether you're a builder or an architect or a designer, you know, you're you're always putting your work out there. Especially if it's a structure that people drive by every day, it's like they're going to they're going to see it. They're going to look at your work, you know, and I think um it's really interesting because in in the design space, there's almost this unless you're in LA or New York, I guess, or Miami, there's kind of a humble nature to what creatives do. It's like, oh, I don't want to toot my own horn. I just want you to want the, the work to speak for itself. I find that fascinating.
1: Yeah, I see that a lot. I feel like I see a lot of people who are f- perfectly willing to toot their own horn too. <laughs>
0: no, that's true.
1: <laughs> we we deal with a lot of uh, you know people who publish their work. So they want it to get in magazines. They want it to be in books. You know, They want Rizzoli with books with their name on the top and, and they deserve it. You know, we, we're lucky in what we do that we get to work with so many talented people.
0: It's, it's interesting too. And I, and I love doing virtual, these virtual calls. Some people hate zoom. I actually love the virtual nature of the calls because otherwise we wouldn't be able to see each other. I wouldn't be able to see that iconic Palm Springs home behind you, which (laughs) I absolutely love. It's one of my absolute favorites. I'm um, curious, w- Matt and Morgan, when did, when did you guys, when did you both start working together on projects?
1: You want to hit it first, so, Morgan?
2: Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I sort of joined the umbrella of the Tatum Brown group uh, nine and a half years ago, coming on my tenure with them um, as a partner. And, um, and it's been such a wild ride sort of coming along and, um, you know, with their group and building a business in tandem with theirs and sort of both watching um, our business and their business change and grow together has been such a fun, cool experience. So um, I've been in the, in the game with them for about nine and a half years.
1: Um, Morgan and I together, working together has only been about two years because yep. I, I, uh, I just joined the Tatum Brown team about two years ago. Tatum Brown's been around for almost 18 years, but I was a competitor until then. So, uh, Really? So our, the owner of our company, Mark Danuser, grabbed me and pulled me in and uh, happy to be part of the team too. That's pretty cool. Okay. So what part of the country are you in, Matt? I'm in Dallas also. Oh, you're
0: in Dallas also. So yeah. the, the projects that you are building and designing, are they exclusively in North Texas?
1: Uh, right now, for sure. Uh, we do projects, and I, I'm going to separate Texas out. We do projects outside of Dallas, the Metroplex area, uh, ranch jobs and lake projects that are a little further off. Most of the time, that's traveling for a client who, who has asked us to go. Um, but the, major- the vast majority of our work is right here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Morgan gets to spread out a little more than we do.
2: Yeah, we're sort of more all over the place. And especially in the last two years, our sort of national, um, you know, scope of work has really, really changed. Um, a lot of our our clients in Dallas have been purchasing second homes and vacation homes. And so they've been taking us along. So, I mean, specifically within the last year, we are in um, Aspen, Big Sky, Montana. Um, we have one in Carmel. Uh, we are just starting one in Kiowa Island, South Carolina. Those are all our sort of secondary homes, and then we have one primary home um, for a client in Arkansas, in Rogers.
0: That is really cool. You know, it's it's interesting to me, and it's really it's really this year, obviously the last two years to. It's so funny because the word unprecedented, you know, if you say something like if you say a word over and over again, it kind of loses its meaning. And you you, you think, is that how it's pronounced? I forgot the word because I've said it so many times. Unprecedented is one of those words where it's just like it's lost all meaning. Here's what's interesting, though. Over the past two years and and by the way that's why we're doing this project in Tulsa Oklahoma because it's a it's a design house it's a virtual and remote design house so it's a real project but oh, wow. none of the designers are are in the in the Tulsa area and by the way it's funny because we haven't really announced this yet but when this episode airs it will be in 2022 and and by the time people hear this they will get to hear a little bit more about the project but what's interesting is People are moving, people are on the move, and designers have kind of been, and builders and architects have kind of been struck with this how am I going to do what we do in big sky, in you know, Hawaii, in Aspen, in places where we're not based and we can't necessarily travel every single week to go work on a project because it's cost prohibitive if we try to do that? And for a builder, to say, you know, we can't exactly craft an entirely new business model because we want to go build in a new area, but that new area may be incredibly profitable to go build. And that may be be the next territory. I think what's really interesting is creatives have had to learn how to do what you do remotely. And for creatives, that's not always easy, is it?
2: No. Um, Especially being in such a sort of tangible business we are like touchy-feely we like to be hands-on um our design firm is unique in that we love construction and to be and, and many of these projects i'm mentioning are construction projects they're not just you know the pretty textiles and furnishings and so for us we've really stretched ourselves to learn how to communicate more effectively how to fall in love with zoom which I don't know if we're there yet. Um, and, no. <laughs> you know, learn how to communicate our design intent from hundreds of miles away. And then re- really rely on teams that, you know, we don't know, do they execute the way that we're used to, like we're used to the Tatum Brown way and and many of our other, you know, wonderful builders in Dallas, but it's like, we're used to a certain standard and it's just so different, but it's been an adventure and it's, it's sort of, it's exciting and thrilling. And I think that's why we've sort of been in the camp of yes. And so we're like, okay, yeah, we want to do that. Cause we want to learn how to be better at this.
1: It'll be interesting to see how that uh, trend that you're talking about evolves in the interior design community. We've been working with out-of-town architects for years. right? We, we work with New York architects and architects from uh, California and even South Florida and it, the remoteness doesn't impact what they do until they need to come to the job site to just see the results of something. But with interior design, it is so textile. It is so much you need to touch and feel and you need to know the local people who have those products and can do it in order to complete your job. It's going to be really hard for the people who are migrating here to follow their clients, the interior designers, to follow their clients and pick up the business here because they don't know the vendors and they don't know uh, they don't know where to get those materials locally. And from a cost standpoint, we really don't want to be getting it from the neighborhoods they do know. No, it's true. You know, it's it's really interesting
0: too. I, I think the only way for me to to kind of wrap my own head around it is to say, you know, when I started doing, working on the production side of the business, when I started doing audio and video and actually being behind the mic and behind the camera, I I had to, I had to have headphones in to listen to the sound of my own voice so that I could sort of modulate the volume and, and I could ride. Now I can just look at my interface and ride the levels. I can tell if I'm too hot or too, you know. I imagine that it's very much the same way for a creative where at the start of this, you actually had to be there in person and you had to actually be, to touch it and to do the sit test and to touch the fabric and material. I'm, I'm imagining that it's getting a little bit easier to do that. And saying that, I, you know, Matt, I want to start with you. Give me, cause you've got your finger on the pulse. Give me the, the state of the business in Texas, in North Texas, in particular, what's the state of the industry? And let's hear the ground rules. The supply chain is still backed up. We're still not getting product in time. Um, We don't know when it's going to get there. Costs are increasing. All that, all that is still in place as of this recording. What is the status of the business though? And when do you see those things? Do you have an idea as to when you see those things starting to flatten out a little bit?
1: So there's another variable in where we are also that adds to that complexity, and that is that we have a massive immigration into North Texas right now. So we have, I would say, almost every week since October of 2020, I've met with a new client from California or the East Coast that wants to build or is looking for a lot, uh, is looking for advice on how to find architects and interior designers. And so on top of all of those supply chain issues and those material cost increases, we also just have shortages because everyone is building right now. Uh, I I joked with a colleague that in the 16 years I've been in just the high end residential realm, I can never remember a time where we could be as selective of our clients as we can be right now, and where even the bad contractors have more work than they can handle, um, and so. The into the second part of your question, do I see it trailing off? You know, we've seen some improvement in things like lumber, and I have to believe that costs won't keep going up. But I don't know that costs are really going to come back down. Uh, You know, I I don't, they've been skyrocketing for a while now. And, and I I do think that eventually supply chain will start to correct itself, people are going to get past the pandemics and things like that. and, And the work workers are going to go back into the factories, regardless of what country that factory is in. And and we're going to get those things back under control. I don't know that we'll ever see the prices fully come back down. It just doesn't ever seem like they ever do. Even before all of this was happening, lumber always went up, but it never went down. And so um, I think there'll be a little bit of a new normal. And then we may be starting to see it now. Morgan, what are you seeing?
2: I mean, we're crying every day with our, um, you know, the emails we get with your furniture is now delayed four more months. Um, And, you know, for us, I don't, I don't know that we really have a great finger on the pulse of when that's going to change. I mean, our manufacturers have given us that they've indicated, we hope by 23, it will be better. Um, and, And that's all they know. And so we are, I mean, we're pivoting with them alongside them. We like sort of typically would curate a furniture package, you know, six months, eight to six months prior to a construction project being finished and ready to install. And we're, you know, backing that up by three months just to give it that extra time. And lo and behold, that's, that's about right. That's about how long we need these days. Um, But it's also been an interesting shift for us to, we have really toggled back to local manufacturing um, and local fabrication. And that is something we sort of, we didn't slip away from it, like entirely, um, you know, prior to all the supply chain issues and the lead time issues. But I would say now more than ever, we are, real heavy on the local fabrication piece and for us it's been sort of fun to dial back into our neighbor sort of feeling and letting um, you know the the guy down the street do our upholstery and and build things and um, and in a certain aspect not to sound uh, not to sound rude or inappropriate but we can sort of control that a little bit better we can show up every day and be like did you get to it today did you start is it done is it done whereas you know we don't have as much control or we can't be you know as abrasive with uh with manufacturers we don't see and touch and so that's been an interesting toggle for us to sort of bring it back home but with that bringing it back home means a very different price point and so you know, that sort of medium range project for us is really hard to grab now because the, you're going to wait, you're going to wait, you know, nine months to a year for your product. So if you can do that, that's great. But if you're in a hurry, then you're going to pay. And it's, it's an interesting sort of balance of sort of time and money. Um, Boy, so. that, is,
0: that is so true, and you know, Matt. It's interesting too, because from uh, on your side of the business, it, it's also really interesting because you have you got the double whammy. You've got the material side, but then you've also got the labor side, and the labor side has just been brutal. I, you know, there was a story. I was I was privy to a, a conversation here in Oklahoma, where there was a story about a, um, a framing company. And framers are just the frame. What framers and painters are just the, the <laughs> hottest thing right now. But where you know they're getting delivered bags of cash, literally bags of cash to prioritize certain companies. Um, and, and I imagine you know I, I I'm making I always make notes as we talk. I doodle. I make notes. And uh, wait or pay are are two of are two of the the words that I that seem to keep coming back to me. Is, how is this changing the, the manner in which the company operates and you do what you do?
1: So, you know, we are fortunate that we've been around as long as we have. We have a lot of relationships with subcontractors who, uh, who we really rely upon and they have really relied upon us historically also. Uh, so, yes, framers and painters are coming out of the woodworks right now too, but a lot of them are not qualified uh, and you don't want to use them. Our biggest issue right now with trades like that is juggling them between our own jobs. I'm not losing guys to other contractors because they don't want to go out and pick up a contractor who's going to end up having pay issues or things like that. They know they can count on getting paid uh, from us. They know it can happen quickly and when it's going to happen. Um, That's a real important thing for a general contractor is uh, to be very predictable when it comes to that. But to the overall labor issue, this is something we've been dealing with for a really long time. And the pandemic only made it worse. uh, And then the rush on business has made it a little worse, too. Uh, From a company standpoint, our subcontractors are people we know and have been around a long time. But their employees will leave them for 25 cents more an hour. So if their prices tend to go up on the labor side, it's because they're trying to keep guys that we know and can communicate with. Um, the, uh, I feel like we have been fighting for labor and craftsmanship and construction, uh, really hard since the downturn in 08. It's really never been right since then. Um, we've had a a massive fall off in the high craftsmanship trades, uh, instead of thinking about like framing, think about trim carpentry and, and, uh, millwork, um, fine painting. So the the special finishes that Morgan wants to do, the people who are capable of doing that have been disappearing for a long time. And this was kind of the final straw uh, for a lot of them. So we're finding new ways to accomplish some really historically old trades now. And and that's really tough. Um, Some of the companies just don't exist. And we kind of have to almost teach companies who we think might be able to do it to do it. So we do a lot of coaching up of our subcontractors right now.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm sure you do, and it's really interesting you bring that up. It's, I do a um, and this is part of a series that I do with a, a partner of ours, Thermosol, and they're based in in Texas. Not sure if if how many steam showers you're you're doing, but it's you know it's a wellness and design thought leadership series, mm-hmm. where to your point, it's interesting how it's the other way around, where you know you would you would hire the trades to do what they what you need them to do. Now you're kind of hiring them and teaching them to do business a different way. I feel like we're in the, the renaissance of design and architecture, which is, which is really wonderful. At the same time, your clients are asking you for different things. And, and I'm, I'm curious what you're seeing. I think some of it is, is societal. I think other things are regional. And I'm interested to know, Morgan, what, what are your clients asking you for now that maybe they weren't asking you for two, three years ago?
2: Interestingly, we're seeing the the commentary of, I don't want what my neighbor has. And I think sort of prior to, you know, four years ago, it was, I want what my neighbor has. And now I feel like, you know, call it a trend, call it whatever. Maybe this is just, you know, the influx of of what we've been asked to do here in the last several years. It's, I want something different. I want something new. I want something fresh. I'm tired. We've sort of gotten past that. I'm, you know, most of our clients now don't have, you know, the browns and the golds and all the, the, the old world sort of vibe that, you know, seven years ago, everybody was trying to run from now sort of everybody has, the, the gray and white and, and they went real contemporary. And so what's interesting now is we're sort of falling back into this like middle ground a little bit of something like a tweener of, you know, real contemporary, real slick, gray and white, everything to a little, we're dialing into a little bit warmer palette. But I think overall, everyone's like, I just don't want what my neighbor has and that is thrilling because for us it's like oh thank you thank you like we don't want what your neighbor has either we are tired of the white stucco box house and we are tired of you know the all white kitchen like we're we're tired of that because we've done it 1200 times so we're really jazzed by the push 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 of something new something different and like it's equal parts jazzed and terrifying because it's like, okay, what is that? And so it really like makes us dial into, okay, what is that? <laughs> you know, we have to really stretch ourselves, and I think um, it's thrilling.
0: Yeah, Matt. So same question, different twist. You know, I, I've designers work on a 5, 10 year, 15, 20 year timeline, because as tastes change, you know, your hope anyway, is that in 15 years, your clients are going to come back to you and say, Hey, we need a refresh. Hey, you know, we, we want to do something different. Um, that's the hope. That's the goal. That's why you do, why you do what you do. You don't design something to stay exactly the same forever. That's not what you do. Builders, architects, you know, you're, you're creating something that, is 50, 75, 100, maybe 150 years, yeah, they're going to move some walls, and yeah, they're going to add to it or, or make some adjustments, and that's part of, part of growth, and that's part of the plan, but you're also not creating something that's going to change materially and entirely in 20 years from now. What are your clients asking you for now that maybe they weren't asking for four years ago?
1: So... And look, we're really fortunate in the business that we do, that we have clients that have the means to build things the right way. And so we, very, we preach pretty hard that you're not trying to build a home that is going to be looked at as trendy at any point in the future. Meaning I can identify that that house was built at this time because of some of the selections and choices they made. We push the team, not just the homeowner, the architect, the interior designer, um, the structural engineer, even to to design the house in such a way that someone will be far more invested in remodeling that house someday than tearing it down and building another one. Um, we want it to be that timeless. Uh, trends do play into it. You know, I would say seven years ago, the transitional look was really coming forward and really becoming a really big thing it was the people who couldn't really decide if they wanted modern or if they wanted classical or traditional building so they did a little bit of both and it wasn't bad some people pull it off really really well and some you can kind of tell they they did it about halfway uh right now i'm seeing a lot of people turn back towards traditional at least in this area Uh, we definitely had some more modern works and people who were willing to go all the way with that. And we love it. Like I love doing my my personal, uh, uh, you know, affinity is for great architecture and design. It is not for a a specific one. Don't tell the other organization that I work with, which is the Institute for classical architecture and art that, but, and 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 don't let them see the art on my wall either, but, uh, but I, I, I love great architecture. And it can be in either realm. But recently, I have seen a lot of our younger clientele, which surprised me, start going to more traditional and classical architects. Uh, and it's kind of that in itself is refreshing right now. Because for a good 10-15 year period, I feel like we didn't have much of that at all. And if we did, it was this traditional shell with an ultra contemporary interior. <laughs> and uh and so there was a little bit of an identity crisis happening. Um, I, I think that uh, a really good designer can step into any type of architecture and provide it what it needs. And what modern often needs is a little bit of warmth, you know, modern that architecture, it gives you the energy, right? You wake up and you're like, this is great. The sun is here. It's right on me. And so and there's the neighbor. I can see him, <laughs> you know, but uh, but you go sit down in a, a Herman Miller chair or something and you're just kind of like this isn't really that comfortable Uh, and so they can provide that that touch of what makes it feel like a home in that modern architecture and vice versa for the very traditional stuff it can come in and provide something in it that gives you a little bit of energy and doesn't make you feel maybe is suffocated by all of the stuff that you goes along with classical uh, and and find new ways to interpret that I think that is is very valued right now. And that's something that people in our area seem to really be going for is, is is someone who knows how to mix the two. And maybe it's just experience. Maybe it was bad for a while because people were trying to mix it and nobody really understood how yet. I think that's one of the things that Morgan's team does really well. It's one of the reasons that they make our projects look so great uh, is whatever the architect designs, they can come in and really improve it.
0: We'll return to my conversation with Dallas, Texas-based interior designer, Morgan Farrell right after this if you've been listening to convo by design for a while now you have heard me tell you about article great style really it's as simple as that with article things have been challenging for design professionals and their clients for what two years two plus years now you know this already what you might not know is that it doesn't have to be if you're looking for exceptionally beautiful modern furniture Article provides a simple and easy way to creating a beautiful modern space because Article works direct with their manufacturers on production of unique and stunning pieces. Then they work directly by providing this well-crafted design directly to you. This direct relationship means you aren't wondering where your furniture is and you're getting it for an incredible value. What could possibly be better than that? In many cases, the shipping is flat rate, which means no surprises right? Even more, their culture and service are rooted in their core values. Customer obsession, doing it differently, ownership mindset, winning together. If you're a designer, architect, or residential developer, you must check out their trade program. Discounts, special support, and exclusive perks. Article has the beautiful modern furniture you're looking for at an incredible price, at an incredible value, and you need to check them out. Check out article.com, or if you go to the show notes, there is a specific link which will take you, if you're in the trade, directly to their trade program. You have to see it to really believe it. Thank you, article. Amazing. By the way, for those of you who are designers in the biz looking for that trade link, please go to the show notes and find that article link, uh, and that will take you to sign up for your own trade account. It's very cool. Now back to my chat with designer Morgan Farrell and developer Matt Kane. Let's drill down on that a, a little bit because I think your points are well taken. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. What, what is interesting to me too is, you know, you talk about the design aspects and the and the warmth and the color palettes and, and all that. And it's true. Those things are changing dramatically. What's also changing is you've got The idea, you know, eight years ago, 10 years ago, when open floor plans became so popular and it's funny, Morgan, you're, you're smiling, you know, exactly where I'm going. It's, it's really interesting because it, it takes a complete shutdown and everybody working, schooling, daycaring at home for a while to understand that the whole open floor plan isn't necessarily the best thing in the world. And it's funny because if you look, you just take your region, you take um, a a lot of those Preston and Campbell, North Texas, 1970s style homes, which really did take advantage of this complete, you know, quarter acre lots, huge open spaces where the kitchen opens up to the living room is where the the idea started, you know, based on Southern California design. And it sort of permeated into North Texas. And then people realize, okay, wait a minute, this does not work for me at all. And Matt, to your point, this the, the modern aesthetic mixing with traditional really kind of created this bastardized version of both, right? And I think now, are you finding that the client's are more educated. The clients are more strategic in how they homes are machines. Homes are, are machines for living. You know, there it's not. You're not living in just a box. If it was just a box, it would be so easy, right? Are your clients getting smarter, more strategic about how they want their homes to
1: perform?
2: A hundred percent. Oh, so I'm like.
1: I feel like we spend a lot of time educating our clients.
2: Well, uh, that's what I was going
1: And yeah. that's time well spent. That's what they pay us for, you know? Um, it's interesting. You, you hit two points there, though. You hit um, the way we live within our house and the way our house performs. They are more educated on what they want from a standpoint of how the house performs, the machine that is the house what we spent a lot of time educating them on, I feel like is how you're actually going to live in this house. And that was when you started talking about the open concept and stuff in a lot of ways, that was a misnomer about how people thought they would live in their house. They thought they would live in one room and sleep in another, and they wanted everything in that nice, big open space. And they didn't, what what turns out is if you spend a whole lot of time in your house, you don't live that way. And and uh and so a lot of them all they really wanted was a tv in their kitchen okay so we can solve that now we have flat screens we don't have to knock that wall down to do that uh so it's it's um i think we spend a lot of time trying to help them understand the way they'll actually live in it i think one of the things that great interior designers and great architects do is help a client understand the rooms that are multi-purpose rooms, the rooms that you will use that don't, you don't need a separate billiard room and a separate living room. Those things can be together, right? But putting your office in the middle of the living room, probably not a real reasonable thing to do if you're going to use it as an office. Um, And so it's, I feel like there is a lot of, and, and funny enough, Morgan usually comes along around the same time we do when we have input for that. A lot of times the architect has already drawn it. And then we're trying to explain to a client, maybe you don't need this over here that you've designed and the architects don't usually love us for it, but, uh, but we're, I I feel like sometimes we have a better finger on the pulse of the client uh, because we're with them so much more for those things.
2: Yeah. Ours is like speed dating, but I also feel like, It's, I agree hundred percent with where you went with that, Matt, but I also think from our perspective, the clients are so much more educated when we're getting them. Most of them are so much more educated simply because of social media exposure to design world is so much more tangible now than it was so many years ago. I think people are coming to us with, here's my homework what do you think? I want to hear back from you on, does this work? Does it not? We're, we're thankful, you know, to a certain degree for that sort of education piece that our clients are coming to the table with. It doesn't mean it's always right. And it doesn't mean that they'll always sort of win or get a hundred on that, but at least there's something for us to sort of bite off to think about and then push and pull with them. But that's all sort of that speed dating piece that we do in the beginning of a project is okay, let's talk about what does your house look like at 7 a.m. on a weekday? What is it at three o'clock? What's it at five o'clock? What's you know, what does your weekend look like? And and how are your movements within the home? So I think sort of that that beginning education piece, learning how they're living is, is all sort of part of the puzzle. And it's such a critical piece of the puzzle, but I think an advantage for us is sort of they're exposed to so much more um, than they ever were before. And it's primarily Instagram, you know, people screenshotting and saving. And some of our clients know how to use Pinterest, not most of them, but, Um, it's, it's just an interesting evolution of, you know, what they sort of think they know or, or what they're bringing to the table at the onset of a project.
0: Well, it's interesting. You know, what's fascinating too is a a while ago when we were talking and you were mentioning that, you know, it's not so much that they're trying to keep up with the Joneses anymore and that they're trying to have exactly what their neighbor has. At the same time, and this is one of the reasons why I dislike social media as much as I do, is it creates just this echo chamber, you know, where you're not keep you're not trying to keep up with the Joneses next door. You're trying to keep up with the Joneses in Los Angeles or the Joneses in Manhattan or the Joneses in Miami, which leads me to the question, because North Texas is so unique, you have really active soil. You have really, uh, interesting weather. And when I say interesting weather, that's not all good, but it's not all bad either. I mean, look, it can, be, it can be January 3rd and it can be 70 degrees. It can be January 3rd and it can be five degrees. You don't really know until it actually happens because the weather changes every 15 minutes or it can change that, that rapidly. There are, there are other things besides the weather. There are things that you have to deal with. Like, you know, when, when I lived in Dallas in the mid-1990s, getting from far North Dallas to, you know, the radio station on the other side of town took me 20 minutes. That's not the case anymore. So you have to take in all of these things into account. The cost of doing business, the cost of living, which the cost of living is still great in, in Texas, comparatively speaking, but there are other factors. And I'm curious, has that led to... Do you see certain traits, certain characteristics, not necessarily so much in style because style is is relative, right? But as far as usefulness, you know, in some parts of the country, LA, New York's really started this concept of the second kitchens, whether it was a full second kitchen for you have a kitchen for show and then you have a, a, a working kitchen where, you know, grease and odors and splatter, and it's really made for, for that kind of work. Or if it's something as simple as a butler's pantry where it's not necessarily a full kitchen, but it's something to, as a transitional space or something where you're, you're getting refrigeration and a coffee unit in an ensuite, or it's something as simple as turning a bathroom into a, um, a spa-like environment. You know, I was I was having a conversation with the folks at uh, Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove, and they were telling me that a lot of their clients, a lot of their designers are now incorporating um, their warming drawers into bathrooms for towel warming. So you're taking out the, the warming bar and you're incorporating a warming drawer where they're putting their towels. That is just genius to me. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah.
2: We have not
0: done that yet. Yeah, it's really cool. So I'm curious, what are you seeing locally? That's that's maybe regional or changes in in the in the actual way that the that the home works. You
2: gonna go first,
1: Matt? Um, I want to <laughs> think about that one a little bit. So, I mean, the first thing that popped into my head is that I feel like for the last couple of years, every house we have done. They want the outdoor porch with the motorized screens. Now that's not something necessarily new. It's new that we do it on every project. Um, the, um, the, and again, and as an extension of that, the motorized shades throughout the house, almost every project. Now it used to be only our, our highest budget jobs would really do that. Uh, I feel like, uh, Warm floors, uh, coming with a lot of the uh, immigration c- uh, clients from Colorado and California who are used to um, radiant heat systems instead of a forced air HVAC system. Um, we're putting a lot more hydronic and electric heat floors in houses, uh, which is wonderful if you have it. Like it's, it's a much more comfortable way to live than having the the, the drying effect of a forced air system. Um, outdoor air conditioners. <laughs> Uh, people want to have a, a, a forced air air conditioner system on their porch as well. And as you said, the climate's so unpredictable here, uh, outdoor heaters as well. So really, really common now it used to be one out of 10 jobs. Now it's like seven out of 10 jobs. And it, it, it is interesting. It's, it, it seems to be an extension of how much more time people think they're going to spend in their home. I don't, I notice it now because I spent a lot more time in my home over the last two years. But I don't know that that's the only reason why. I think there it also has to do with um, the just changing work environment anyway. You know, even before COVID, we were going to a more decentralized work environment with WeWorks and, and, and with a much more uh, individual entrepreneurial culture. Uh, maybe it's a millennial thing. I don't know that they have a lot of smaller businesses that that uh, seem to function in smaller environments and they spend more time at home and and some of them are enormously successful you know and so they they want a nice big house and we build it for them and they they design that uh, around what they do even the people who seem to work in the media industry like you who uh the technology now exists where you don't have to be in studio for everything so my brother's in the media industry and he he broadcast from his house in, in Preston Hollow. Uh, so, um, and it seems to work just fine, but those types of things, we have to build a lot of that now. And it seems to be becoming more and more common.
2: That's I was going to, I'm going to put a bubble around what you said, but it's, I think people are using their homes to the nth degree, whereas before their homes were a, sort of the pretty place to land and rest and, and entertain on occasion. But so much of our clientele is gone traveling. And so with that shift in, in paradigm of, of sort of no travel, um, they're they're in their homes and they're using them to such a higher level, like form and function than they ever have before. And so I think all those things Matt mentioned, we're, we're making spaces um, you know, highly functional across the whole house, including outdoor, um, and, and sort of toggling back to what we said about the open floor plan concept going away. That's, that's part of that shift of, okay, that doesn't work. And, and we don't want to see our mess of our actual life. Um, so we're going to hide it in that second kitchen. And, Um, I think everything, what you said is, is spot on. We're, we're definitely seeing just more high function spaces rather than just sort of the pretty entertaining spaces that you come in and, and it's like the, the once a month room. Those aren't, those aren't here anymore.
0: Well, I'm, I'm interested to know too, you know, Matt, do you, do you find that, um, There is a, it's funny, I didn't freeze. I'm actually thinking about the question. Do do you find that, you know, materials and fabrics have become performative? There are performance fabrics, which are designed to be both beautiful and highly functional. Has there been a a mind shift where the clients that you're working with, high-end clients, are actually expecting more performance from the homes, not just that they be beautiful, not just that they be high lux, super impressive, but that they also are are performing at a higher level. Is that part of the expectation?
1: Yes. Yes, that is increasing for sure. So when you built a 20,000 square foot house 10 years ago, the client knew my power bill is going to be crazy. You know, they just knew. And they were still surprised because it is crazy, but they, they, they had some expectation that it was going to be a lot more than what they were used to. Um, you build a 20,000 square foot house now and the client will come in saying, I want to be totally off grid. And you're like, well, that probably isn't going to happen. Uh, but we can go a long way in that direction. So just from a power standpoint, for sure, we, we, uh, there's so much more technology and options out there um the uh, the performance of air conditioning systems is so much better the the noise impact of those things is so much better um our ability to uh to to hide and to to insulate them from the uncomfortable parts of some of those technologies is so much better with different wi-fi technologies that we have just the size of things they don't want to see goes away and so it does play into the aesthetic side of things, but they can really focus on uh, trying to make this house seem like that. Those, those technologies and things and features that they wanted. We can, we can focus on making them disappear. Um, the, you know, things like windows and insulation, everybody wants more of them right now and they want it to perform better. And the performance has gotten somewhat better, especially with, you know, steel windows and doors are a big trend right now, and the thermally broken steel windows and doors have gone a long way to making that better. It's still their weakest point from a house performance standpoint. Um, but you know, another thing that I I see in t- to tie this all the way back into client uh, education level uh, that I see clients making much smarter decisions on now is the money they spend on audiovisual systems. So we had a lot of clients that would do whole house Crestron uh, or Savant systems. This is even maybe just four or five years ago. And they'd spend a lot, a lot of money on it. And the low end of the market is displacing those companies. I mean, I can go for my personal house to Home Depot and buy an Alexa device that can do things in my house that my client who spent a lot of money on a whole house control system cannot do in his. And, hits. and So that's really kind of flipped that industry on its head. And so a lot of clients are coming in now and saying, look, here's what I want. I want really uh, good Wi-Fi. I want really strong internet speeds. I want a really good security system that doesn't require me to look at a camera all day. And I want, you know, um, and I want a great sound system and I want some lighting control. Those things are all so much more available and simpler than they used to be. And less and take up so much less of your house. I don't have to dedicate a room to that system the way I used to. You know, I may need a closet, small one, but I don't need a, you know, control center like they have at DFW airport.
2: They also want to know how to work the remote. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big one.
0: Some things are universal, are they not?
2: Yeah. On.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, listen, I I think We've we've unpacked a lot here, and it's absolutely true. You know, you want higher luxury, lower cost. Those those things, by the way, are universal, regardless <laughs> of income, regardless regardless of budget. Those are those are universal. And I think you know, I've always been so impressed with the design trade. That's why you know, I've I've always longed to be a, a designer or architect, but never had the skills or talent to do it. So I talk to you guys. Um, it's amazing how you identify what the issues are and then you figure out how to make it work and you figure out how to make it real. And I, I think what's happening in North Texas right now, and Texas in general, but North Texas in particular, is really fascinating. It's a microcosm of you've got this confluence, this this high lux, and I don't want to call it low end, but I want, let's call it market entry point. And the ideas are going back and forth which which means that you know you're it's democratizing luxury i guess is probably the best way to put it and i think that that's a good thing for the industry i agree
2: yeah i agree i mean i think you know there's a thing called fast fashion and i think you know fast fashion lives in the design world too and there's so much good design at a lower price point that's tangible across you know, both universes. And I think where we as designers can come into play for our clients is understanding how to mix and how to blend and say, you know, okay, I I see that this isn't sort of the highest impact room in the house and and the dollars don't have to reflect that. So let's find some, some fabulous looking pieces at lower price points that, um that we're still going to be really proud of the way this came together, but we're not going to cry when Bobby and Susie, you know, spill their milk. Um, so I think, I think that's exciting for us because it it goes back into that challenge of pushing ourselves and learning. Okay, this is worth it. This is not. And and from a dollar's perspective, and and pushing and toggling and sort of marrying those two. Um, in a in a really fluid way.
0: Yeah, I I could not possibly agree more. And by the way, Morgan, Matt, thank you guys for the time today. This this was fun. I I I love these conversations because I always find myself learning so much more uh, at the end of them than I knew coming in. So this was great. Thank you for the time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank, thank you for having so me on. fun.
2: Thank you. Thank you,
0: Morgan. Thank you, Matt. Surprise and delight. Love it. Thank you, Thermosal, Article, York Wall Coverings, and Franz Wegner for your partnership and support. You are remarkable partners and amazing allies for the trade. And thank you for listening. Remember why you do what you do and that the business of design is about making better the lives of those we serve, right? Until next week, be well and take today first. (sighs)